on my morning hike this morning I was watching a squirrel bury his nuts in the dirt so take from that what you think you need it to mean personally lol lmao So I, uh, got, I asked my uh, 20-year-old to text me uh, her reading list for... She's got a compar- uh, comparative literature, comparative literature class. something, Some kind of literature class that uh, is dredging up all these old fucking just archaic stuff. It's just brutal reading. It's, uh, you know, Dostoevsky, Notes from the Underground, Voltaire, Candide. I mean, it's like, can we create a list for a class that isn't comprised of just some Russian that's writing this from an 18th century prison? Can we at least least try that approach? Something that's, something in the, something within the last 50 years? Is that asking too much? Something more uh, recent? Anything? Please? Like, I don't understand why... Like, they've been teaching these same books since the beginning... Since... Since the day they came out, I think. You know? Back in the 1800s. So what's the point? I don't know. There's a a funny... uh, Well, so last night I was... Um, my lady's pretty pissed at me, by the way, just full disclosure. So she hasn't been talking to me a whole bunch. So what do I do? I'm going to read. I'm going to read my way out of this shit. And what do I, so I thought, yeah, I'll take a little inspiration from uh, my daughter's comparative literature class. Absolutely not. I saw that list. I said, no, thank you. But no, I even did a, fuck, I did a, I was, was looking through uh, this guy's got this British guy's got a channel where he talks about specific books and uh, reading and he does a he did a top 100 books of all time list that is kind of a compilation it's kind of a something he read from a, a compilation list it's not uh, I think it's kind of a bunch of contributors that culminate to uh, create a list based on the most uh, the most votes or the most uh, times that, that each of these books have been nominated or listed or brought up or what have you. And, uh, you know, right out of the gate, it's like fucking Virginia Woolf, Charlotte Bronte, Emily Bronte, Charles Dickens, fucking, I mean, oh my God, I think, so number one was a book by Marcel Proust, which I don't even remember which one it was. It wasn't things of, remembrance of things past. It wasn't that one. Uh, Matter of fact, I lost track after, I think, number three. 50-something, 60-something, I don't know, and uh, just, oh, just sheer cement-drying, paint-drying boredom, 
The Great Gatsby was in there, which is fairly, I mean, it's, The Sun Also Rises, you know, these books from the 30s, it's just the same stuff. But, um, but I also like to, I also like to, uh, I also like to ask, like, I bought this book for my lady. Uh, it's a book about it. It was all Edgar Allan Poe's short stories and, uh, you know, horror, tales of horror, right? Which, um, he's kind of always, uh, he's always identified with the macabre, the macabre. And, uh, because he's, there's just something, there's just really something weird and, uh, I don't know, kind of supernatural. There's always kind of that vibe around him. But what's even more fascinating to me is the, is the fact that uh, most people think he's English. Speaking of the Brontes and the the Dickens and all that, and uh, and don't get me wrong, like uh, I'll, I'll read Great Expectations in December. Like I usually make, I usually make an attempt. It's um, I think David Copperfield was in the top one hundred. Like fucking, you know, book about a magician. <laughs> Just kidding. And uh, so I. Uh, so I, ha- I got this book for my lady. Um, uh, it's a comp. It's Edgar Allan Poe's kind of a compilation of his tales of horror, short stories. You know, it's got the Telltale Heart and uh, Fall of the House of Usher, which he is pretty dark. I mean, I'll give him that. It's for sure. Um, but what I find fascinating about him and what I like to. to I like to spring this kind of bit of useless trivia is that uh, most people think he's like one of those 18th century English writers, right? And uh, But he's not. He's from Baltimore. <laughs> he's from... Ba- he went to the University of Virginia. And... Uh, which I hadn't, I hadn't... I hadn't realized until I was listening to a, an interview with Stephen Malkmus, the, the lead... the lead singer and guitarist of Pavement. And uh, he said uh, that's where he went. He went to University of Virginia, the same place that uh, Edgar Allan Poe went. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. That's interesting. I knew he was from. I knew he was from Baltimore. I didn't realize he went to uh, the University of Virginia. So, uh, so that was. I don't. I always like to spring that one on somebody, like, because you even look at the guy. He looks like a pasty little kind of a, I don't know, he looks like he just sits around drinking, like, liquid opium and hanging out at cemeteries, kind of dark, pale I think he was kind of I think he had a he was kind of a like, he he really is an obsessive, kind of sickly person which kind of lends to the you know, the disposition on his stories, just kind of dark and uh, bordering on the bizarre, the malevolent, and uh, supposedly somebody leaves like a bottle of sherry or something at his grave each Halloween. So it's kind of like he's cultivated this presence, and then it's been reinforced over the years. But so I was reading it. So I last night. So as my lady wasn't well, she was really pissed at me the day before. And I, I'm a pain in the ass. I'm a pain in the ass. That's what I am. That's what I do. That's what I'm really good at. And 
So, so Friday was a rough one. And then Saturday, there was a bit of reparation done, you know, some Civil War reparations. And, um, but we spent most of the, I, I, I bought her, a, I wanted to get her a book that she'd been trying to get her, get her hands on for uh, a few days. So we ended up reading, we ended up doing some reading. And I finished, I finished the book, Sombrero Fallout. I, I, which isn't a very long book. Uh, it's 180 pages, but it's like, it's really, it's not as, it's not a, it's a misleading 180 pages. It's a short, like most of Richard Brodigan's stuff, it's, it's a short read and it's kind of, it's kind of bizarrely esoteric, kind of got a Zen thing going on. It's basically this, this sombrero that kind of materializes out of nowhere and comes down in this town in the middle of, of uh, kind of a crossroads of a situation where this guy is kind of learning to deal with a breakup of all things from this uh, <clears throat> Japanese woman that he was seeing. And he's, he's a bit of a mess himself, not unlike myself. And uh, he kind of goes through the turmoil of dealing with the breakup and then in conjunction, this sombrero that kind of, again, it falls from the sky, just materializes from out of the sky. And when it drops into the middle of the town, this the middle of this town on the brink of uh, kind of catastrophe, um, it, oddly enough, is, it's, it's a, it's frozen. It's, it's, it's got a temperature of minus 24 degrees and then as the mayor and his f cousin and a uh, unemployed gentleman the three of them kind of oversee the slow demise of this town as they face off there's a huge riot that ensues and the town riots uh, against um, the local law enforcement, then the uh, then the state law enforcement, then the uh, military, and all this escalates into this. It's just pure chaos uh, that happens in and around this frozen sombrero that comes out of nowhere. And um, so all this, all this, all, all three of these incidences happen simultaneously. The guy that comes to grips with his, the breakup, the breakup and the fallout of this, uh, of this, this relationship he had with this Japanese woman. And then, um, and then the, the, the chaos that ensues over, and it has nothing to do with the sombrero. Is, is the weird part the sombrero and in, in, in the whole me, in the whole evolution of this maelstrom of chaos the sombrero starts to uh, not warm up but it becomes less cold it becomes minus 23 minus 22 minus 21 until it reaches zero degrees and 
I think this is probably a little bit of artistic ambiguity because it has absolutely no bearing and it forces us to kind of come to grips with some kind of metaphor that may not even exist. So take what you want from that. But I finished that book and then I decided I had to, I just had to, I, I'm, I'm almost now that it's, uh, I mean, it's still registering in the high nineties. Here it is on October 9th. Um, I have to, I have to almost kind of use an override switch to kind of kickstart my fall holiday, my fall holiday season, right? So I decided I'm going to pick up this Edgar Allan Poe book and I'm going to read, first I read uh, Telltale Heart, which is a classic. I did, I'd had, I'd had a, I had a, a vinyl record, a full-size vinyl record, full LP of uh, a series of ghost stories. Um, and one of them, it wasn't all Edgar Allan Poe. It was a mixture of, of things. Um, all read by some, I don't know, somebody that's posing as an Englishman. You know? That's the mix-up, too, right there. That's what makes you want to think Edgar Allan Poe is English. Because I think most of the stories are, are recited in some with some kind of English accent. So it kind of throws you off. You're like, this motherfucker, he's, he's English. But he's not. He's from Baltimore. <laughs> He's from Baltimore. And uh, so I read Telltale Heart and it reads it just, I, 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 it reads just exactly like, it took me back to when I had this record and, I, and the record, I, it was when I was about nine, I would listen to this. And it, in between each story, there'd be like a, you know, a ghostly like little, Right? And then you go on to the next story. Some other incident. Something. And uh, But the Telltale Heart was a classic story about a, a madman who decides he's going to take the life of, a, uh, of his roommate. And uh, which he does in a matter-of-fact way. And then simply just disposes of any and all evidence under the bed of the, you know, under under the mattress of the bed that he was, he had slept in, the old man. And then uh, the then in the, the law enforcement show up to the house to report about uh, some calamity, some noise, some shrieking. But this 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 madman had already dispose of the evidence under the floorboards of the room but as he's trying to be cordial and offer the policeman that showed up at the house something to drink and a calm demeanor he slowly his 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 madness kind of elevates and he just keeps hearing this pounding this Heartbeat in his head that sounds as it like a as if it's like a watch wrapped in cotton. Until finally, he just he can't take it anymore. While the policemen are there, he just shrieks and admits the crime, and and that's the end of the story. So, typical kind of a tidy little artistic 
ambiguity, a little bit of ambiguousness. And, uh, but macabre and dark nonetheless, right? So I, and after that, I decided I'd pick up Half a Sleeping Frog Pajamas again, right where I left off, about 260 pages into it. And I knocked that off for another hour. And then put that down with about 100 pages left. And then I started Hotel New Hampshire, which I'd read, you know, e- years ago 20 plus years ago over 20 years ago probably at this point but again it's like one of those east coast type of stories it's kind of dickensian in its own in its own little weird way and it's bizarre and it's dark and uh so i so i knocked knocked out about 20 pages of that that felt good and then i went back to the Edgar Allan Poe, I started reading Fall of the House of Usher. Where are you going with all this? Where are you going with this? Well, I'll tell you. I'm not going anywhere with this. All I'm saying is... At no point did I decide I wanted to read Candide by Voltaire. Or Notes from the Underground by Dostoevsky. Or any Russian book that is a thousand pages long and written from the viewpoint of the person in prison in the Gulag archipelago. I mean, Jesus. I, do we have to suffer f- to, to create great art? I mean, is that a necessity? I don't know. David Cho seems to think that that's the case, that there has to be some suffering involved, that even if it's self-imposed, right? And maybe that's the question. I don't know. Maybe that's the real that's the real crux of the whole matter is does suffering lend to better art? I don't know. But uh, moving on, hey, shout out to um, Emily Sisson who broke the American record. I was just talking about a new American record this time began, was it beginning of the year? When, uh, what's her name? Kira D'Amato ran like 219, which is phenomenal. But Emily Sisson, Chicago Marathon, like I was saying, fast course, just smashes the American record by over a minute now. She ran 218.29. 218.29. Like, my God, that's. 211 is about five minutes per mile. And two, let's see, six minutes per mile is about 237. So, God, that's like, that's about 520 per mile, 518 per mile. Fucking, fucking ridiculous. But what did I tell you about Connor Mance? You shoot for 208. Ends up running 208.16. Good for him, man. Fucking amazing. Good for seventh. He was... uh, The winner of the race was uh, Benson Kipruto. I don't know if he's in relation to Amos Kipruto, the London Marathon winner. But Benson Kipruto is... uh, He busted out a 204. Another 204. They're all running 204. But some uh, three-plus minutes back, three-and-a-half 
minutes back or so is old uh, Connor Mans in seventh place, 208.16. Not the fastest American debut. Used to be uh, originally uh, it was uh, Alberto Salazar, 209.41 in the 1980 New York Marathon. He ran 209. I think it was 209.41. And then in 81, he ran the 208.13, which was the world record at the time, but it turned out the course was short. So, but the fastest American debut was a, uh, oh, what the hell is his name? Um, it's, uh, it's the time, the fastest American debut now is 207.56. I forgot who it was though. It was a, a I think it was a naturalized American citizen though, because it, had a, uh, it was a definitely an African name. I'll come up with it at some point, but shit, 207.56, America, the fastest American debut was 207.56, that's pretty strong, so shout out to Connor Mans, 208.16, he set out to run 208, and he did it, good for him, fuck yeah, and I was wrong, I was actually wrong about him last episode too, I said, uh, you know, because I, I went on a rant about how there's a lot of guys that, uh, now they need, you know, it used to be rare that you'd have a guy that could break two hours, ten minutes in the marathon and break four in the mile. For a while, for a long time, there's only three guys. Jeff Smith, Rod Dixon, and uh, Greg Meyer. Now it seems like every, everybody. And, and, and But Connor Mance, he's a 337. I didn't realize he's a 337, 1500 That's That equates to about a 354, 355, 355-mile. 355, 356. I mean, that's pretty damn strong. Um, and now he's a 208 marathoner. That's a that's a range, man. He's a force to reckon with. I've been watching a lot of. Uh, I watched about the last four years of the NCAA cross country championships, and it's always. It seems like it's the same crowd, and it's. It, but it makes for very exciting times because. You've got these guys like, uh, well, last year it was uh, Connor Mance for the 2022. We got the 2023 coming up here next month, November. But Connor Mance won the last two. And then prior to him, it was uh, Morgan McDonald, who won it in the snow for Wisconsin on his home course in Wisconsin. Good for him. And then, uh, gosh, prior to that, it was, uh, see, Edward Cheserick won three out of four and he did it very unconventionally freshman sophomore junior and then third I think he got third his senior year just fell off the pace just did, of all times to kind of not sew it up but whatever uh so who that was uh Jerry Tiernan the uh Irishman from is he Michigan I think he was a Michigan runner so, and then next, and then, yes, but it was always like, there's a core group, there were a bunch of NAU guys, like, uh, la, 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 Colin Young, is it, yeah, Colin Young's up there, um, and who, uh, who am I missing, well, Grand Fisher, Grand Fisher always seemed to be up there too, uh, for Stanford, he graduated though. He's a pro now. He's the American record holder in the indoor 5,000 meters and the outdoor 10,000 meters. And uh, and the 3,000 meters as well? Is that right? Nevertheless, 
Um, and then there's always kind of like a couple of Oregon guys hanging around. Cooper Tier, uh, which is odd because he's he seems to me to be more of like a 1500 runner. But but you but back in the day, see, there was always like that core, you know, in that group, that lead pack. There was always like back in the late 70s, early 80s. There was always like that Alberto Salazar group, Henry Rono or uh, Nick Rose and Steve Prefontaine and Jerry Lindgren and these guys, Washington State, Oregon, uh, a bunch of these guys tearing it up, running in a pack, you know, Western Kentucky, uh, you know, and, 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 and now this group is, is just the modern version of that, but it's the same, it's kind of a, a continuing saga, it's like these... It's this. It's virtually the same same list of guys that are always up in that that, that lead pack. You know, Connor Mance, Grant Fisher, Morgan McDonald, uh, Jerry. Uh, is it, I think it's Jerry Tiernan. Uh, Colin Young. Colin Young's bound to be. Due, he's 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 due for something. This guy is coming off a 13, 19, 5,000 meter performance. Uh, the track season. He's a stud. He was a, he was a high school phenom. I think he's a junior this year for NAU. So, so we'll see. But shout out to Connor Mance and Emily Sisson. Fucking studs. Fucking studs. We're just we're getting a kind of a good resurgence of running here all of a sudden, and uh, we're and we're going into that. You know now now we're we're in we're we're in it now. We're gonna be. Very soon, we're going to be run. There's going to be a lot of division races coming up. Pac-12, Big Ten, uh, the Western Athletic Conference. A lot of Utah guys, a lot of Oregon guys, a lot of NAU guys, and then um, and all 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 that's going to ultimately culminate into the NCAA championship at some point. So I'm going to put my money on uh, Colin Young this year to run away with it. Um, there, you heard it here first. So, but that 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 being said, uh, what else you got, man? What else you got? I'm gonna tell you, man. Uh, speaking of Baltimore, um, damn, last Sunday, fucking uh, our boy Josh Allen from Fireball via University of Wyoming uh, came back from a twenty to three deficit against the Ravens. This is uh, okay. Another end of the year prediction on October 9th. Well, when this comes out, October 10th. Uh, I think the Bills are gonna. I think the Bills are the team to beat uh, in the AFC. I think the Packers, even though they got beat by the Giants in uh, in the exhibition London. match that they put up, I don't know why they do that, Europeans don't give a fuck about American football, it's, I don't know why we're pushing it on them, but, uh, but uh, Packers uh, seem to always be the ones in it, I think they, uh, unless I'm overlooking somebody, uh, the Rams don't look good at all this year, uh, the Steelers are vulnerable, they're pretenders to the throne as they always are, you find out now that, you know, quarterbacks are very, very specifically vital to certain programs, right? Like, now that Ben Roethlisberger's gone, that rapist, 
he's he's out, but so is the team. They're shit. They're garbage. They're pretenders. You know, they were always kind of a patchwork, kind of cut and paste job uh, when he was in there. But he made him win. He, he put him on his back and he made him win. Same with Brady and the Patriots, because the Patriots are one and three right now. One and three. You know, there was always talk of like, well, you know, Brady's a system quarterback, and without Belichick, you know, who is he? Well, here he is. I mean, he he's two and two. He's about he's he's putting a he's laying a beat down on the Falcons right now. So they should end up three and two. But I don't see them uh, unless they find a way to shore up that offense. I don't know. It's going to be probably maybe a Packers Bucks. Could be Packers Bucks. NFC or yeah, NFC Championship. AFC though, Bills. I gotta give it to the Bills. Our boy Josh Allen from Fireball. He's fucking he had 348 yards passing at the half against the Steelers. Against the Steelers. Like my God. Like holy Jesus. 348 at the half. So he's tracking 700. He's tracking a 700 day pa- passing. I don't know what he's uh, as of two o'clock. I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, I think the road to the Super Bowl goes through Buffalo this year. Uh, the Chiefs are going to be in there. Uh, but they've got, I don't know, they figured him out. They figured out Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's still a stud. Anybody who throws 5,000 yards their rookie year in a 16-game season uh, has my respect. But they figured out. they figured him out a little bit. They, they you know, we'll see what happens. They got... Uh, Let's see. So tonight is Raiders Chiefs Monday Night Football. That's always a good matchup, even though the Raiders are garbage. They always seem to play Chiefs well. I think they're in Kansas City, so that's going to make it a little tougher on them. But they always play tough against Chiefs. It's just one of those things. It's like the way that the Dolphins always played tough against Brady in the when he was with the Patriots last, and it was like the last game of the year. It was always kind of they were like a spoiler. Sometimes they would throw a little wrench in in, in uh, the Patriots postseason plans you know they'd steal a win for whatever reason for whatever reason Brady always had an issue with the the, the, the Dolphins and uh, and the Broncos uh, he'd he would steal a win every now and then but it was always a glaring uh, kind of formidable opponent those two were always kind of a, a kind of a I don't know they got under his skin but uh, but yeah but Steelers are garbage this year they're not going anywhere uh, let's see so yeah I think it's going to be as of as of October 10th I'm saying Bills Chiefs AFC Championship. Then you can say that for the next three years. It's probably going to be true. And then NFC, I got Packers, Bucks. That one I'm not as solid on, but I, I, I'm going to throw it out there. I'm just going to throw it because they're mainstays. You know, they're mainstays. Um, so yeah, other than that, you know, things are things are just flowing right along. My lady's really pissed at me though. Like. Um, I gotta, I gotta take it down a notch. I don't know. I get too ramped up. I get too pumped up. You know, I come busting in the house after, after a hike, just high on dopamine. 
you know, it's high on endorphins. And I try to rally the troops, but eh, this doesn't seem to kind of, doesn't seem to pay dividends and that's okay. You just got, you just got to know your audience, man. Know your audience, man. So other than that, I, yeah, as I, uh, you know, everyone's got their, everyone's got a pace that they've got to, that they're comfortable with. And I've got to respect that. And that's all. Um, that's it. You know, um, what else? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to break the cycle. I'm trying to, uh, you know, you're doomed to repeat the cycle if you don't learn from it. So I got to take it as a learning moment. You know, it's like, oh God, it's like, uh, I don't know. I guess it goes back to like that, that list, that syllabus of, of, uh, of books that my, let me, I'll show you what it is. It's, um, where'd it go? It's, uh, here it is. Candide by Voltaire. The Sorrows of Young Werther by Goethe. Oh my God. Why? 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 Uh, Notes from the Underground by Fyodor Dostoevsky. A Doll's House, Heinrich, uh, Henry Ibsen. The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Thankfully, that's not a full book, but that's a, I mean, that's a great one, but God, we just read that to death, to death. Um, the Color Purple by Alice Walker. Chronicle of a Death Foretold by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Why? Why? I don't, am I missing something with this whole Gabriel Garcia Marquez thing? You know, 100 Years of Solitude. I get it. You know what? We, like, we're not, this isn't about, you know, love in a time of cholera. We're not, this isn't South America. There's, there's, there aren't any cholera outbreaks. This isn't, this isn't right. You know, I think, um, the whole, the whole fucking magic realism thing just kind of, kind of came, do people use that anymore? Do people use that style anymore in their writing? And, and if, and if not, why are we still, why are we still touching on it? You know, we don't, uh, we haven't really, are we, have we produced any great writers based off, off having to read this stuff in the last 30 years? I don't know because uh, I would, ra- I'd much rather see like, again, I'd much rather see like, uh, William T. Volman, like what, what would, what, what kind of reading list would he propose in a class like this? Right. I guarantee you it's fucking off the charts. It's some fucking, some of it's probably like some Rand McNally road atlas, you know, like I draw a lot of inspiration for roadmaps, you know, shit like that. Um, bizarre shit. It's like listening to, uh, it's like listening to Heston Blumenthal talk about his days as a repo man, you know, like it's interesting. And you know what? I don't know. He probably got a lot of his inspiration from his, for his restaurant from other great chefs. But at the same time, it's like, there's something within each of these people that kind of makes them who they are. Right. So the notion that, um, 
you know, somebody like Heston Blumenthal, you know, went from being a repo man to, uh, you know, purveyor of the greatest restaurant in the world back in whenever it was, 2005 or 2006. Um, it's fascinating, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not talking down on this, this list, the syllabus of books. It's just mix it up a little, you know, throw something else in there, you know, like anything, anything. It's like, it's like, oh, but anyway, we're doomed to repeat. We're doomed to repeat it were whatever it is that we didn't learn from in the beginning maybe what we didn't learn what we learned or what we didn't learn from this list has is has reared its ugly head into the lack of of uh of 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 any clear cut great novelist of, of of current and contemporary writing right like this French woman just won the Nobel Prize for Literature. All right. I'm sure it's great. It's contemporary. Who's on her list? What's she reading? You know? What's Vol- what is Volman reading? What's Martin Amos reading? Right? I mean, he's a sh- he seems to be kind of a short list. Salman Rushdie was a short lister for that list, but it's the same deal. It's like this magic realism. I don't know. Salman Rushdie's he's you know, he, uh, he 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 constitutes a pretty fervent following because of the notion that he um, had the fatwa. He had the he had the Muslim fatwa thrust upon him. So any time that a, an entire religious community wants your death that makes it interesting but honestly i don't i uh speaking of salman rushdie his his book midnight's children came in at uh number 50 i take that that list that i was listening to on youtube was the top 50 not top 100 he came at 50th he was 50th is that right with midnight's children which i think was his first book and it's got a great premise it's basically like uh, it takes place. It's it's, if I'm not mistaken, more magic realism. But it takes place midnight of 1947. I think January. I want to say is it January first? Jan or. It was the the, it was 12:01 from. The midnight after. The Indian subcontinent. Became an independent nation, free of the colonialism of England, of, of, of Great Britain, who colonized them for, for several, several decades. And then uh, the Indian, the country of India declared their independence in 1947. So the book Midnight's Children is based on 1201 on what happened? What happened? What is this newfound uh, freedom from the, from their, English oppressors, right? So you got to give it to him on that level. But then when he came out with Satanic Verses, which I read, and I wasn't that imp- it's 
And granted, you know what? I don't care. I'm not the... I'm not the... Beginning and end of... Criticism on great literature. It was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. It didn't win. I think Peter Carey beat him that year, and he got pissed. Salman Rushdie was pissed. Peter Carey beat him with, uh, I think Oscar and Lucinda beat him, which I read that one too. Fucking boring as hell. Fucking boring as hell. Just straight, just horribly, gratuitously boring. And But Rushdie threw a little tantrum at the Booker Prize ceremony. The Booker Prize is like the National Book Award. It's like the uh, English equivalent of like the... American National Book Award, um, which uh, Volman won. He won this. He won the same year that Joan Didion won nonfiction, the nonfiction National Book Award. Um, what did she? What? what uh, gosh, I can't remember which book she won for. But Volman won for um, Europe, uh, Europe Central. But. Uh, but I don't think you'll ever, they'll ever, his stuff is so hard to digest. It just goes beyond any comfort. It's, I don't know. Maybe you just got to be just totally inconceivably and, uh, desolately, uh, dense, just completely dense. It's just what, you know, it's all political too. I mean, it's all political. Part of that's, it's political. I, I think, the, uh, you know, a lot of the reading community probably has it in for Salman Rushdie because he's such a fucking prick, probably. But, uh, but nonetheless, I mean, he's got he's had his moments. He's a great writer, and uh, he can't be denied. But I'm telling you, Satanic Verses is greatly overrated. And how did I even get on to talking about? Well, I, I guess the point is we're doomed to repeat the. Uh, we're doomed to repeat the mistakes of our past if we just keep if we just keep doing what we're doing. And I've got to switch up gears myself because my lady just wasn't having it this weekend. And um, so I've got to retool myself. But uh, but uh, yeah. But aside from that, it's you know you just. Take a day to take it a day at a time, um, and just put one foot in front of the other. That's it. There isn't any other reason to, I don't know, to look too far ahead. Maybe that's the problem: is we get too far ahead of ourselves that we end up uh, kind of mm, disregarding the lessons of the past. I don't know if that even makes sense, but nevertheless. It's, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, it's been an interesting weekend and I tried to subdue it with some, some heavy duty reading. I went, I, I went hard. I went hard in the paint Saturday night and I'm still just as confused as, as, as I was, uh, Friday when I fucking lit, lit a powder keg under, uh, <laughs> under myself and my lady's, uh, situation. So I'm going to calm the fuck down. And I'm just going to regroup and I'm going to retool and, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see, let's see, we'll, we'll see where I, what, you know, where I, where I surface here in the next few days. So until then, I'll talk at you later. 
Arrivederci, baby.